What's going on, everybody? Back again for another episode of Hockey Talk with Ryan Hawk. Today's guest is the host of Sportsnet's Hockey Central tonight, Carolyn Cameron. Carolyn stopped by to chat about her career as a sportscaster and offered advice on how to move up in the industry, and then we dissected the North Division. So let's get into it. Here's some Hockey Talk with Carolyn Cameron. Welcome back to another episode of Hockey Talk with Ryan Hawk. I'm joined today by Sportsnet anchor Carolyn Cameron. Carolyn, how are you? Good, how are you? I'm doing pretty good, thanks. How's life uh, out your way in the middle of everything we're going through? Good. I know we're almost coming up to the year mark of when all this began. So I think a lot of us right now, I was even just thinking with the the calendar turning to March, you're kind of reflecting on the past year and how far we've come in the past year, but also not. So it's strange. I'm kind of used to it though. It's Groundhog Day every day, but it is what it is. I know I'm turning 30 in a few weeks and my sister was like, you know, you just be 29 again. I said, I don't think that's how that works, but we'll do it anyways. Um, have you been filling your time looking up more outfits for Elliot uh, at all? <laughs> no, that's one and done. That was a tweet. Okay. So he wore a turtleneck on Hockey Night in Canada. And a lot of people have been teasing me on uh, social media just because I've been wearing a lot of turtlenecks this year for the season, which is really because the studio is very cold. So I like to try and keep warm. Um, so one night watching Hockey Night, Bieksa was making fun of Elliot's outfits, as most people make fun of Elliot and his appearance, unfortunately. And uh, so I just tweeted without much thought, I dare you to wear a turtleneck on air. And it turned into a really big thing, even in terms of just uh, the bosses getting on board and then Elliot finally doing it. And then of course it started trending and it became a whole thing, which surprised me and didn't surprise me, but no, I think I'm finished with my dares. <laughs> do you ever think like you're next like do you think Elliot's gonna tweet out you know I dare you to, to you know wear some wig or something like that no I don't think so it's more so if you even think with Elliot back with the beard during um well every off season he, he grows it and then during uh quarantine last summer and then even into the bubble he kept it for a little bit he just thinks it's funny that other people find joy if you will <laughs> and laughter from his appearance so he's totally fine to make fun of himself, especially as we were saying, especially in a year like it's been, who cares yeah. if someone wants to laugh at your expense and you're okay with it, then so be it. Yeah, I think a lot of people making fun of the beards really needed a long look in the mirror because I know I, <laughs> yeah. I had a horrendous one going cause I live alone and work from home. So I was like, ah, no one's going to see it. But when you're on nope. TV every day, it's a little different. Yeah. Uh, I want to get into the North Division and, and working at Sportsnet, but uh, let's get into your start as a broadcaster. Uh, when did you start to envision yourself, you know, manning the desk at, at Hockey Central? Yeah, I mean, I didn't envision that when I was a kid. It was probably grade eight or nine. There wasn't an aha moment, but it was around then that I started thinking, okay, maybe I could get into sports broadcasting and, and be on air. And it was just kind of a natural interest. I'm the youngest in the family and two older brothers. And my family was just always very um, engaged in politics, social events, watching the news at dinner time every night. So I was a very curious person and interested in journalism. And then I was also a huge athlete and big sports fan, loved playing and watching sports. So the two kind of went hand in hand. And 
you you dream of getting to a place where you'd you'd be on TV and I would be at the desk where I was watching people growing up, but I still didn't necessarily think I'm gonna get there. It was more so just having the interest and wanting to get into it and then working my way up and it it happened and it happened pretty quickly. So it's I still have kind of those surreal moments. Yeah. What what uh, sports did you play growing up? Um, I kind of played a little bit of everything. Like basketball was my main sport. I played tennis just um, in the summers at the local tennis court. I wasn't a member anywhere. Um, soccer, like road hockey, track and field, cross country, kind of everything. Like I was just always very active. Swimming. Um, yeah, I was just I was very active and one of those kids who was involved in a ton of sports. Um, so really as, as much as the different schools in elementary, middle and high school would allow as many sports per season as I could. Yeah. You mentioned having brothers too. Were you the road hockey goalie or did they spare you that? No, surprisingly not. Like I was kind of the athlete of the family. So, and even, (laughs) and my brothers are seven and four and a half years older. So, I mean, I was the one who was trying to get them to come out and like play road hockey with me or they were already away at university. Um, but basketball, my oldest brother was always shooting hoops on the driveway and my bedroom window was overlooking it. So I always kind of like he was playing when I was supposed to be sleeping or going to bed. (laughs) So I I think I always, that's where a bit of the competitiveness comes, um, from is just always trying to catch up with them. And then eventually I beat them. So that's good. (laughs) That's awesome. Now you mentioned uh, playing tennis and uh, is it fair to say that being the courtside reporter for Wimbledon in 2016 is, is pretty high up there on career highlights? Yeah, that was really cool. So that was the first time um, like Milos made the Wimbledon final that year. And I think I showed up ahead of the semifinals where he beat Roger Federer. So that was something. I'd gone to Wimbledon as a fan for the first time the year prior with some really good friends, um, some of whom we were ball kids at the Rogers Cup. And we've been trying to go to all the Grand Slams. We've just missed the Australian Open, but hopefully we'll go one day. Yeah, that was really cool because it's it's something when you're covering sports in North America, um, like hockey, and it's a big deal. But when you're, you're somewhere international and a Canadian is doing something that they're not supposed to because you're not used to it, that was, that was really cool. And I got to sit at the desk of breakfast at Wimbledon for ESPN2 the morning of the match. So that was very surreal because I watched that every morning as a kid and growing up. So yeah, that was... That was really cool. And then in terms of tennis, being at the U.S. Open when Bianca won in 2019 and just covering her all year from Indian Wells to the Rogers Cup to the U.S. Open, that was cool. Just those big moments that carry weight. It's You're kind of like, holy hell, like I get to be here (laughs) for free because I'm working. Yeah, yeah. Um, a friend of mine is grinding it out at MSG in New York. She wanted me to ask you uh, if you could offer any advice for her. Um, she's been doing a ton of freelance work to get her name and her face out there. But uh, if you have any advice for Jules, uh, just maybe pass that on. Yeah, I think it's even just like keep knocking on doors. Even back in high school and university and when I was interning and even early on in my career is network, network, network. And I still do it. And it's not just to get a job out of it. It's just to learn and get answers to questions and even uh, find questions that you hadn't even thought of before. The more people you talk to and the more doors you knock on, the more opportunities there'll be. So I think that's probably my main piece of advice. And also just keep trying new things. 
and rely on people to give you feedback. Because even early on at Sportsnet, I was doing like fake reports, um, which was I would just follow and shadow a reporter. And then if the camera person had time, I'd quickly record an on-camera, write down a script, and then I'd have the boss or one of the managers look at it to give me feedback. So it's, it's kind of what I tell students is everyone is graduating with the same degree or diploma. So what more do you have? And, and the same goes even in your job is everyone's there, but what more are you doing to try and get better? Yeah, that's great advice too. Um, I want to talk about Sportsnet because it looks like it's the most fun to, to work at. Um, you know, as, as we mentioned, you got the Elliot Friedman wardrobe challenge. Um, are we, uh, I guess you, you kind of already answered this, but are we going to see, you know, some more, like, is, have you started a trend now or guys in the studio going, Hey, you know, I dare you to wear this or I dare you to cut your hair this way. Are we going to see more of that? I don't think so, but I will say it is a really fun place to work. And I've been there for almost nine years and it's definitely evolved in the, in the um, better part of the, a decade that I've been there. And that's just that there's always been those personalities, but I think people have really come into their own and people are more comfortable speaking up and sharing their personality on air and with each other. Um, so I think you'll see a little bit more of that. I think even on air, like if you look at hockey night and what Kevin BX has brought to it, when you have just some of those personalities, it kind of brings it out and gives permission for everyone else to be a bit more of a smart ass or, be a bit humorous or, or be more themselves like Berkey's farewell on hockey night in Canada a few weeks ago. I thought that was just some of the best TV I'd seen in ages. And that's because I felt like viewers at home were seeing my coworkers the way I do while we're watching games at work and not on air. So I don't know, maybe you will see more uh, fashion dares, but I think it's just, you're just seeing people be more comfortable being themselves publicly. Yeah, I don't uh, like Kelly Rudy was actually my first guest and we talked a little bit about like broadcasting even and, and he had that great gaffe the other day with the button yeah. flying off. And, <laughs> yeah. Um, what and a again, great guy, isn't he? He's the best. Like, he's uh, so nice. What he's done, you know, obviously for me, uh, just giving me the, the right info to the right people and at Sportsnet has opened up some doors and, and I owe him pretty much everything that this show has had so far. <laughs> but um you know on a side note to anyone that makes fun of kelly again look at yourself before you make fun of, of <laughs> kelly's button flying off we've all put on the quarantine 30 but uh you know you, you brought up a great point there though because seeing like anthony stewart and kevin bxa join ron mclean and you know david amber it's kind of that great balance of i don't want to say kevin's not professional because he is but it's it's more of a almost like locker room mentality sort of thing that, that these guys are coming in so I know for me it makes it a lot more entertaining and you know we're in an age now where people are streaming a lot more and so I mean is there a challenge for you guys to to kind of bring that level of, of entertainment as well as info or is it just kind of so. yeah, yeah I, it's not a challenge that anyone's put on us but that's how I even just see sports broadcasting in general and like sports are fun and I think a lot of times, especially even with the NHL, that sometimes we take it a little bit too seriously. And that's not to say that you shouldn't be professional and that you shouldn't report the news because you can, but you also have to remember why people are watching. And 
sports is an escape for people, right? They come home from work or have been sitting at home at work all day in the past year and they want, they want to watch something and they want to have fun and they want to feel a part of something. And it's, it's a hobby and it's a distraction and it's something to feel a part of. So I think that's where it is in a way, Tim and Sid always said edutainment where it's educate, <laughs> like you're educating the masses, but also entertaining them. Uh, and I, I really feel that's what sports broadcasting is. And I think it's, I think we are challenging ourselves, as you said, with more streaming and with just the platforms changing to do that more and to stay relevant, but people will always want to watch the sports and that's why they're there too. They're not there to watch us. We're just kind of filler in between and we're the storytellers to help, um, hopefully tell the story and present it and a good way. Um, but yeah, I, I want people to have fun and also learn something when they're watching us. So I think it goes hand in hand. Yeah. Do you have, uh, any idea what it's going to be like in five years even? I mean, we've seen, it's just, it's moving so fast now. It's insane. I have no idea. I was actually just thinking that, uh, the other day, cause even just at my time at sports. And as I said, it's been nine years, there've just been so many changes and I really don't know what to expect. The one thing I'm confident in though, is that people will continue to watch sports. Um, so on the broadcast side, someone always needs to be broadcasting it. They're not just going to pop up on your TV or tablet out of nowhere, but yeah, I don't know where it's going to go. I even thought with the NFL this year, it was kind of cool seeing some of the games on Nickelodeon and they were having some fun having like SpongeBob as the field goal and, and the, I'm going to get it wrong. Slime, like being, thrown on some of the players uh so i think yeah i think it'll just keep uh, we'll keep adapting and changing but i don't know where it'll go yeah that nickelodeon experiment was uh it was funny until they got the players on the hot mic and then all of a sudden people were freaking out i think so i i would love to see the nhl kind of do something like that just have the players mic'd up and let them fly loose but i think i think that would have to be on a, a pay-per-view event Yes, um, you would have to. It's kind of what they do now with the mic'd up. And you saw um, yeah. Alex Petrangelo in Lake Tahoe too. just say, oh boy. Yeah. Yeah. You just have to show it slightly delayed so that you can yeah. pick what the viewers see. Yeah. And I think with no fans and a lot, of, like especially in the North Division too, but like uh, Geo the other day in Calgary saying, you know, back to the gym, that kind of thing. Like it's great stuff, but then you also catch the stuff where you're like, you know, hope, uh, you know, hope my nephew was not paying attention during that that three seconds um how much prep goes into hockey central for you guys i mean are you, are you are you tasked with keeping an eye on all the games or is it more so the north division with just the way the alignment is this year this year it's been a lot of the north division and that's just because those are the games that we're broadcasting so when i'm in at night you're watching hockey but you can only watch closely so many games and if i'm doing intermissions for games and those are the games i'm watching so it's been it's been tougher this year and I've had to make more of an effort than usual to pay attention to what's happening south of the border. Because in past years, that's just been intertwined with what's happening in Canada. Uh, for prep, for me, I'm in usually four days a week, four nights a week. So that's nice because it's really, um, it builds off each day. So if I'm in on Monday night for Tuesday's show, I've seen everything that happened on Monday night. I might need a quick refresher in the morning, check some stats, check some news. Uh, but usually in the mornings I wake up and read some articles and watch some highlights um, and then talk with the producer during the day about what's going to be in that show or we might have discussed it the day prior and what the analysts that day want to talk about. Um, 
but yeah, I'd say there's, there's a lot of prep in the sense that you're always paying attention. It's, you can't really take a day off watching or paying attention because then it'll just screw you over for the next day. But luckily I'm also a fan. So on Saturday nights, I'm, if I'm not working, I'm watching. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a fair amount of prep, but it doesn't feel like homework. And as the years go on, I also know how to, uh, kind of work smarter, not harder. So I know how much time it'll take me to put together my cheat sheet, if you will, which I use for hockey central. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's talk about the North division. Cause it's honestly, I, I didn't really think it was going to be the greatest. I thought it was going to be kind of Toronto, maybe Edmonton and then everyone else. And I guess it kind of is that way right now, but, um, the Leafs look like they're going to be the team to beat, uh, led by Austin Matthews. And I know he's out right now. Uh, this is March 1st. We're recording it. Uh, do you think Matthews can hit 50 this year? I do. And that's on a bummed wrist. And that's no. why he was out Saturday night against the Oilers. The thing about Matthews this year, and Connor McDavid is still, I think, the best player in the NHL and in this North Division. But defensively, Austin Matthews has really picked it up. He looks faster. He shed, he shed some weight this offseason. He's forechecking. He's backchecking. He's doing every little thing right. And his complete game has just completely evolved. And it's, I think it's changed the Leafs. And it's changed their attitude. And it's changed what all the guys are doing. And headed into the season for the Leafs, the storyline was, and you heard this from Kyle Dubas and Sheldon Keith is we haven't been getting it done in the playoffs and it doesn't matter if we score a bunch of goals and collect a bunch of points in the regular season, the regular season needs now to be a time for us to prepare for the playoffs and to become a better playoff team. And that's what you've seen. And I've seen from the Leafs this year is they're not reaching for pucks. They're using their bodies more. They're winning ugly too. And that's not to say that they're playing badly, but those are games that they used to, lose and that was even uh their final game i get all the weeks mixed up uh, mixed up see i can't even say it uh last week against the flames where you're grinding it out and then in the end you get it done and that to me i think foreshadows that they're going to be a better playoff team and having joe thornton in the mix wayne simmons i know he's been injured it just seems like a lighter more fun leafs team too and matthews even when he speaks he's he's giving you a little bit more and he just seems a little bit more comfortable so like he's he's a star and i totally think he could get to 50 and that's nuts yeah i know and i i'm in vancouver i hate giving the leafs any sort of credit it's just been ingrained in me since since the day i was born but you mentioned his defensive game and that's something that when they were playing the canucks one night i was like you know matthew's it's, it's little things. It's not even that he's like Pavel Datsuk level stick checks, but it's just getting getting in the lane and taking away a pass is even just as good as intercepting a pass because it gives the other guys nothing. And on top of that, yeah, I, I think he very well could hit 50, especially if he comes back pretty quick here and, you know, scores two goals a game. And, and some of these teams are not that great. So I could totally see him doing it. Um, you mentioned McDavid in there as well. I mean, are there any other MVP candidates that stand out to you or is it kind of a a two horse race in the North right now? In the North division, I think it's a two horse race. If we want to quickly just touch on, um, what's happening in the U S Patrick Kane is basically single-handedly carrying Chicago Blackhawks. And I work with Chris Versteeg, who's one of his former teammates and won two cups with Chicago. 
And he said that he's always like, Kaner's the best clutch player you'll ever find in the NHL. And so he made a good point in that Chicago, you announce that you're in a rebuild and it kind of gives a weight off the players. And it's like, okay, well, this can just be a, in a way, lost season, development season, lost in terms of we're not going to make the playoffs. And he said, Kane hears that and says, okay, let's go. Like, I'm going to yeah. show them. So right now, I think, um, I think Patrick Kane is, uh, honestly, if you, and this is where things get uh, tricky with most valuable player, right? Is it, the most, is it the best player in the league or is it the most valuable to their team? Right now, uh, Patrick Kane is the most valuable to his team, I think, in the NHL. But in terms of the Scotia North, yeah, it's definitely between McDavid and um, Matthews. Yeah, I think Kane, like he got his 400th goal last night. And I think uh, the players, the the Pearson, I think is the one, uh, or the Ted Lindsay, whatever it's called now. But that seems to be the one that the players get right, I find, is like they say this guy is legit the best or most valuable to his team. So, but um, I wanted to uh, to ask about Montreal because they started off hot and then, uh, then they get rid of their coaching staff. Uh, do you think this is going to be enough to getting the new coaching staff in to, to turn the ship around or are we seeing a bit of a, a falling team here? Yeah, I think now it's definitely on the players. And the thing with Montreal is I expected them to, ha- to be high up in the North division this year, just because of the bodies they brought in. And I think they were overlooked headed into the season just because they don't have that star. Right. Yeah. Like when you talk about, as we have been, McDavid and Matthews when you talk in Vancouver about like Quinn Hughes, Elias Pettersson, Brock Besser now stepping up, right? Like you you have kind of these sexy names where in Montreal you don't, and that's where they get overlooked, but everything was going right for them early on in the season. And I didn't expect them to be a high octane offensive team. And yet they were, and that's because they were also getting a lot of goals from their blue line. That's since stopped. Their power play has struggled mightily and Carey Price who you need to depend on in order for that team to do well has not been the Carey Price that we know he hasn't been good so I'm not I I really don't know what I've seen out of them even since the coaching change they haven't looked different but I think probably in the next week I think it would probably be fair to make a decision or a judgment on them but it's totally up to the players at this point that's how i see coaching changes it's okay we've made the change so now that excuse is gone so now it's up to you do you ever think we'll see carrie price get traded because a lot of the stuff i'm reading online it's mainly fan reactions and you have to take it with a grain of salt but i mean truthfully his numbers haven't been great and 10 and i think he's making 10 and a half million a year it's it's like it's a hard contract to move but he's also when he's on he's incredible i think it's a hard i'm I, my argument is kind of with what you just said, when he's on, he's incredible and everyone should be allowed to be off every once in a while. And in the bubble, he was very good and a big reason that Montreal found success. And that's a really tough contract to move. So especially this year, I don't think you're going to see any team picking it up or in the near future. Uh, Oilers are near the top of the division. Do you think this is the year that we, we see them take that next step? Because they, they I looked at the stats. It's still like McDavid and Dreisaitl like way up top. And then I think Nugent Hopkins is third with less than a point per game. Um, but Darnell Nurse looks amazing. Uh, the goaltending has been great for Mike Smith. I mean, are we 
ready to see them take that next step and, and make a serious run? The fact that they got Mike Smith back, I think, adds a level of confidence that not only do you have his voice in the room, but you know that he can start good games and get wins for you. And that's in this condensed season, goaltending is so important because you need guys to win games for you or keep you in games. And you also need a duo to help you out with the shortened schedule or condensed schedule. Uh, the Oilers, it's funny because even though they're still getting so many points and they're top loaded with McDavid and Dreisaitl, they still are, they're deeper and they feel and look deeper to me now than in past years. And even as you said, with Darnell Nurse playing as well as he is, just the leadership's a little bit more matured. Um, they've won games this season, which hasn't happened literally in years when McDavid and Dreisaitl don't have a point. So in a yeah. way, when I have seen in the rare occurrence that they don't, it's, it's kind of good news. Uh, so yeah, I, I think, I think they act, they could do pretty well. They're, they're still not at Toronto's level for me. Um, but I think they could do well. Yeah. And I still, it's been like four years. I still can't pronounce his last name, but, uh, Pugliarvi has yeah. been very good. Yeah. yeah. So it's amazing to see what maybe a little bit of maturity both on and off the ice has done for him as well. Um, Winnipeg shook things up. They trade line A. They get uh, a top six center with PLD. Um, do you think that's going to be enough having, you know, like their top six is really good. Their defensive six, not so much. Uh, they do have a Vesna winning goalie in, in net, but do you think that they're going to have to basically rely on these top six forwards carrying the load and, and you know, taking the uh, the weight off of Morrissey and, and Pionk and some of those defensemen? Yeah, like down the middle, I think the Jets are kind of right up there in terms of depth at center position. And that's with Pierre-Luc Dubois being on that top line and not playing center. Um, Winnipeg really has impressed me this season because they only had line A for – I believe it was the one game before he got injured and then before he got traded. And then they were just waiting it out for Pierre-Luc Dubois to come and get through his quarantine and be able to join the team. And they, they were doing well and staying close to the top of the division. Now they have him. He's fitting in great. And even though their defenseman isn't as their blue line, isn't as strong as it was say four years ago, it's, it's more that it's just the names that we wouldn't expect to do well. Like there's still a good defensive group. And that's, it's just kind of in a surprising way. And when Hellebuck's playing his best, Montreal to me, like the Oilers have skill and they have McDavid and Dreisaitl, but the, the Jets are just a team when I watch them. And this is very, um, it's a Paul Maurice team. I just trust them. Yeah. They make good decisions on the ice. They're structured, but there's still skill and everyone knows their role. So just uh, even when if fans are watching or casual Jets fans or hockey fans are watching the Jets, just even watch the guys away from the puck. Like everyone's just smart. They do things safely and well. And I also think they're just an underrated team in general in terms of we always talk about Shifley, who's having a great season, and Blake Wheeler. But like Kyle Connor's one of the most underrated players in the NHL. Nikolai yeah. Ehlers as well. Like they're, they're a really good team and disciplined. Kyle Connor is so underrated. I had a friend recently say um, for the Olympics, he's like, I'm really excited about McDavid, 
and then McKinnon and Kyle Connor on his wings. And I was like, well, Kyle Connor's actually from like with like Michigan or something. Like, he's not, he's not Canadian. He's like, no way. Like I had no idea. I'm like, no, he's, he's, he's a really good player, but. Uh, I don't blame but, him for wanting your buddy to have a be Canadian, but. Yeah. I was like, we'll throw Barzell on that wing. It'll still be just as fast, but uh, um, Calgary flames, they've been, you know, hot and cold this year. They're still in the mix. Um, I asked Kelly this when he was on the show, if this is maybe the last time we'll see Goodrow and Monaghan on this team if if things don't go well. Because I, I think Kachuk has really kind of shown he's he's kind of the cornerstone now. Um, do you think that that's fair to say? I mean, it, it feels like we've been hearing Johnny's name and rumors for two or three years now. Yeah, that's interesting, actually. It's something that I haven't really considered. I've always thought that um, Matthew Kachuk, he will be the next captain of the Calgary Flames. I think that's really a consensus once Mark Giordano decides to retire um see Monaghan and Goudreau for me this year with the Flames haven't been the um question mark or concern for me it's more so what's this team's identity and I know a lot of times in hockey we talk about identity and culture and it's almost in a cliche way but what I noticed this year was the Flames were even questioning that and Giordano was saying we need to figure out who we are and so if your captain and your team is in the middle of a funk and they don't know what type of team they are, then that's hard for all the guys in the room to figure out what their role is. And then that's when you question how long does the coach have behind the bench if the team doesn't have a, a clear identity. Yeah, will we see a Flames team without Monaghan and Goudreau? Quite possibly, because then you, I guess you wonder what you could get back from one of them. Um, yeah. I haven't put much thought into it. What did Kelly say? I'm interested. Uh, he kind of, I, I don't think he wanted to get into it too much, yeah. <laughs> So, which I, and I understand that. I think it's just like Goudreau, I've heard like Goudreau to the Flyers now for a couple of years. And, right. and again, maybe that's just a stupid online rumor, but um, Kevin Hayes is there, he's his, his good friend. And, you know, I think he's from the area. And um, yeah, I don't know. You mentioned the identity. I think their identity now is the Vancouver Canucks because they took half the team in the off season. But I think uh It'll be interesting to see what they can do. Um, I mean, that 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 third line, I, I call it a third line, but it's like Backland with, um, I think it's Mangiapane and Lucic. Yeah, he's great. I love like, Mangiapane. Yeah. yeah. Like those guys, they look so good. And they're, they're kind of the most consistent line that I see. And that's, yep. sometimes that's great. But when you've got Goodrow and Monaghan who are good for 30 goals and 80 points, sometimes it's like, I want to see a little more out of them. Yeah. Um, I think that's the thing that's kind of a shame with the flames when they're floundering is they have all the pieces and they're built really well. And I really think like Brad Trilliving did a great job, as you said, grabbing Vancouver Canucks, but, <laughs> but strengthening, strengthening his team. So that's where it's really, and again, it sounds like an excuse, but especially this year when you're not going to be able to get much help in terms of trades anyway, like it's up to the guys to figure it out, but they have the skill that's there to me. It's not like it's, Oh, well you have a, you have a clear um, blind spot or weakness in your lineup. It's like, no, you just have to get your leap together. (laughs) This isn't a children's show. Just (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, Ottawa, they, you know, talk about a team with no expectations this year, but uh, I mean, there's a few bright spots. Uh, Tim Stutzel comes in. He's looked amazing. He's probably outside of Kaprizov, uh, my Calder pick. And they've they've found a way to win games, and it's almost like fun watching them because 
it's almost like they feel a little bit light, I guess. I mean, maybe that's unfair to say, but I mean, their comeback went against Toronto, for instance, like you could see how much that meant to them. Um, what are some other bright spots that you've seen out of Ottawa? Well, speaking of the Calder, I think Josh Norris is right up there headed into the weekend. I know he was second in rookie scoring. I haven't checked it. This is a Monday we're recording. I haven't uh, checked it since. Yeah, I think I really respect that team because you start the season, well, with a win, and then there were kind of heightened expectations for a few days. And then you really struggle and really bomb, and teams are just picking you apart, and you're a young team, and yet you then respond and come back and prove that you're a better team than everyone thought you did. And yeah, it's it's what you said. They kind of just seem lighter and like they're having fun while they develop and grow. And you see that even on the ice with Brady Kachuk winking um, to Tim Stutzel, his roommate, and he's giggling and laughing on the ice. Um, I was a little worried about, do they have enough veteran presence to help this team through? But that was before they've come back from their struggles. So Josh Norris is someone though that across Canada, I think people should really watch. And um, Drake Batherson has been great too. I feel like every shot he takes has been finding the back of the net in the past week and a half. So I'm just glad from a fan perspective, you don't want to see, especially in a Canadian division like this, you don't want to see one team that every single team just beats night in and night out. So I'm just glad for Ottawa's sake that they've picked it up. Yeah. They definitely bring back the, uh, the, the pesky sends mantra, I think. Most yeah. Nights. Um, and finally Vancouver, uh, might have overreached last year when they pushed Vegas to seven games Uh, this year they look different do you think that they have a shot at making the playoffs or are they gonna have to follow that Edmonton model of you know we we had a good run and now maybe we need a little bit more maturing to our game I still have hope for Vancouver and I think I know Travis Green brought it up uh, a couple times and he didn't want it to be an excuse but the schedule was brutal for the Canucks to start the season and no Canadian team had played more games the pieces are all there for the Canucks. I still think that, and I'm not just saying this because he scored so many goals uh, against Vancouver, but I really think they should have and could have found a way to keep Tyler to Foley this year. Um, You can't give up a defenseman like Chris Tanev and not, I understand for money, but, and not find a replacement um, to bolster that, especially when you're having um, your top goaltender leave as well but I really do think the pieces are there and the talents there for them to still make a run. And that's where you have to take advantage of the rest of the division when certain teams like Montreal and Calgary are struggling and coming in and out of games. Um, I think with a little bit of rest and I think it even helped the Canucks to not play this weekend. um, I, I still have hope for them. I don't think they're, I didn't think they were as great as they were in the playoffs, but I don't think they're as bad as people think they are now. No, I don't think that we can rely on Thatcher Demko to have, you know, 50 save, uh, one goal, no. <laughs> one goal against. So, nope. um, he was, ne- he's never going to be as good consistently as he was in the bubble too. And that's nothing against him. You just can't, it's impossible. you can't expect that out of anyone. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm a Washington fan, so I, I'm neutral on the Canucks. I, I really don't uh, don't care one way or the other. But I do think that you're right. Like losing, not just losing Tanev and Markstrom, but losing them to a, a division rival. Which even when things go back to normal, they're still going to see those guys six times yeah, a year. It all it hurts it's, more. Yeah. Um, well, this was awesome, Carolyn. Thanks for uh, for taking the time to do this. Um, where can people watch you on Sportsnet and and uh, connect with you on social media? 
Yeah. Uh, SN Carolyn on Twitter, Carolyn A. Cameron on Instagram. It's my parents spelt my name wrong. So it's pronounced Carolyn, but spelt Caroline just to confuse everyone. Um, and yeah, Hockey Central. Um, it's usually Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday at uh, 6.30 Eastern, 3.30 Pacific. So we tend to have a good time, talk hockey, laugh a little, get you ready for the night. Thanks, Ryan. Awesome. I appreciate the time. Thanks again to Carolyn Cameron for coming on the show. And guys, you can catch her hosting Hockey Central tonight, four nights a week. And thanks again to you, the listener. Make sure to rate and subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your podcasts.